Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Schmitz, with my co-host, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am excited to talk about a reading revival today. Why would you need something revived? Maybe it's dead. Maybe we're not reading enough. Maybe we're not reading at all. With technology inundating our culture, it's really easy to just put those books on the shelf and just to leave them there to collect dust. (laughs) But we want to share today our love for reading, our family's love for reading, and then hopefully it will inspire you to possibly revive your own reading at home and create some new habits. Yep. Reading is one of the best ways to expand your mind with quality ideas. Uh, Books specifically, I mean, yeah, you can read articles and, and things, but the amount of effort that it takes to put a book out into the world, that higher barrier of entry, means that the quality of the ideas that get put into books generally tend to be better. And some of the most brilliant minds the earth has ever seen have written these books and we have access to their ideas. And it's a shame that we never tap into, if we would never tap into those. So we're going to encourage you to make yourself better by opening up a book. Yes. I want to share a little bit about my background with reading. I began reading more so around six to seven years old, and I have very distinct memories in first grade being put in the slow readers group. We had a special table at reading time, and we were labeled the slow readers group. I still remember what that feels like. I still remember where I sat. Now, I do understand the place for that so that everyone can learn and grow. But I also remember the stigma put on me and I struggled with that. And it kind of set me back all through elementary school because I mm. saw myself as, I well, I'm one of the slow readers. So I didn't pick up reading on my own for quite a long time because of that. And there's other ways to tackle that issue in classrooms. I'm not talking about that today. And at that time, that's also the time when my father died unexpectedly in a car accident. So that may have had something to do with my slow reading. That does, But put all that aside, I now do love reading. But it took a long time for me to grow that love, to grow that habit, to grow that regular routine. And maybe you have a child or maybe you yourself consider yourself a slow reader or someone who doesn't, oh, I'm just not a, a bookworm. I don't love to read. Well, that's just a label that we can put on ourselves. I would argue that everyone should do their best to cultivate a love for reading and a habit of reading because your life will only improve from that. One of our sons, he everything with school was such a struggle. It was like a battle every single day. And even a year ago, he's like, I can't read. I'd look at him and say, you can read when you actually try. <laughs> and at the beginning of this year, I challenged him. I said, you know what? I bet you if you pick up like a box a boxcar children book, you would absolutely love it. And you would end up just reading on your own all the time. And sure enough, he's on book number four, loving reading, because he just was a late bloomer with reading. And yeah. all of a sudden, is it's like something developed enough and that want to was there. And now he reads at least a chapter every single day. Yeah, well, I uh, grew up and I loved reading, but I got away from it for a while too. So uh, I think no matter which camp you identify in as a a child, there is is some truth to that, I think, where 
you're put in the slow readers group and there's a stigma attached to that and you feel bad every time that you are reading. So you would naturally try to avoid that. Uh, But I loved reading when I was little and I still ended up not reading for a long time. Uh, And so uh, I think, you know, how you start isn't necessarily how you finish. And that's Mm -hmm. the important part. No matter what sort of background you have with reading, what sort of emotional response that evokes in you, uh, you have the ability to change your course. And it is something that you can learn to love. I mean, I didn't read for fun for a very long time. And I had apprehension when I decided to start picking up books more consistently. But I have developed that habit. And now it's something that I really look forward to. Yeah, that's true. It it can happen to any of us going through different phases in life of reading or not reading. Uh, what With regarding some of my experiences with my children in homeschooling them and them being so different because we are each so different. One of the things my mother-in-law actually told me, which was fantastic advice that I kept with me all these years, and it's gotten me through many a difficult days of school. She just explained to me how she has her three boys and they're all completely different. And she kind of explained that how they each developed and how they each kind of took off at different points. And it really helped me see my children in a different light and not just put them in a little box of, well, this one did it this way. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't matter. They're five, we have five kids. They are all completely different and yes, we have are. to approach it all differently. We have um, our oldest two are like my husband, Mike here, who <laughs> kind of read it on their own at age four. I didn't really have to teach my oldest two to read. They just wanted to They do just it. wanted to. They had the desire and we just started picking up picture books and doing it. And Mike's that guy that he, his mom says, I just gave him his, bu- his school books, his worksheets, and he did it. <laughs> and I could say that's true about my oldest two for the most part. She has another son that hated schoolwork all the way through even high school and some college. He's like, what's the point of all this? But he, to this <laughs> day, he's a very successful, bright man. Mm-hmm. And then yet another had a hard time reading. But at age nine, he was reading chapter books. And that's exactly like the son I already described. But you can see with those three boys, the experience is completely different. And that's just, a, I guess that's just a picture to paint that we each have our own path. We each go through different things and develop in different ways. But that is never a place where we want to set up camp and stay there. No matter what our background, no matter what our struggles, whether we're slow readers or mm-hmm. we loved reading and then we stopped, the, the, I guess the challenge is always to how can I cultivate a better reading habit or read more or read more intentionally. Yeah, it's a, it's a habit, like you said. And just like any other habit, you can learn to change your defaults and your preferences, and you can learn to enjoy it. Uh, I think one way to sap that joy from reading is to compare mm-hmm. against other people, especially with children. You you look at you know the, your nine year old's classmates and how well they're reading, and how much they enjoy it, and you get frustrated because your nine year old isn't at that level. So you can't do that. You gotta no. you gotta remember, like you said, that every child, every person is unique and and it does come down to a motivation. Yeah. You know, do you why don't you want to read? It's cuz the motivation isn't there, but I've found that with like a lot of the nonfiction books that I read, 
the ones that I really enjoy reading are the ones that are speaking to a specific topic I'm interested in or a problem that I'm trying to solve. And so I know that I am going to get something from this, that expectation produces the desire to go through the book. Yeah, that everyone being unique and not comparing is so important. It's very easy to fall in the trap of putting like arbitrary benchmarks on ourselves and our children and saying, well, they, sh- they should be doing this by this point. Well, who said so? Yeah. There, and that, I, I'm not trying to keep talking about homeschooling, but that is one of the biggest reasons why we homeschool is because mm-hmm. it allows them the time and the space to grow and thrive in their own unique bent, in their own special way that they are developing at whatever yeah. pace that may be. And it, it's been very beneficial for us. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are teachers out there in traditional school settings that do handle this very well. They do, they are able to tailor things and they have a supportive staff and the mm-hmm. parents are very involved. So that can yep. definitely be something we do. And it's just, ah, like you said about finding a topic that's interesting so I think that's why Boxcar Children has been so successful, <laughs> I guess, for our son, mm-hmm. because the stories are so engaging. Yep. The author, she started writing those because as a teacher, she found that there weren't that many engaging books that would draw children in. And so she started writing this series. And it's just, there's, I don't even know how many books there are. But a lot. he gets so involved in this story. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing. Pick up a book that interests you, something you want to learn about. Yep. There's a lot to be said about a good story. Our 11-year-old has recently gotten into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, <laughs> which I am also reading. We just recorded a special episode for the Focus podcast that I do with David Sparks because my bookworm co-host Joe Bulig has also been trying to get me to read books. Both of them have kind of ganged up on me recently. <laughs> to read to read fiction, fiction. books. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because I typically read nonfiction books. I have a whole process for that. Uh, in fact, we covered that in a focused episode not too long ago. I think it was episode 124 on reading and learning. Um, I read a nonfiction book every two weeks at least. And I've got my own process for taking the notes from it. I keep it in a MindNode file. I've actually got an article on my faith-based productivity website, which explains my whole process. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But I have like different emoji that mean different things. Then I transfer all that stuff into an application called Obsidian so I can link all that stuff together. And I've read enough books at this point now that I see the connections between the books. Yeah. And so I have like a note in there, which is just my running thoughts on habits. And it links to the stuff from The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And then what I don't like about that and why I prefer James Clear's model that he talks about in Atomic Habits and the motivation curve that BJ Fogg talks about in Tiny <laughs> Habits and what does the Bible say about habits and like all these things coming together, yeah. it's really cool to see that happen. And that's yeah. why we read, right? We want to collect those dots yeah. and let our brains connect them. They're actually really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And that was a big tipping point for me when I realized that really the things that I was creating that was a formula in essence because for a long time I didn't think I could be creative. I would write a song and realize that the melody line or the chord progression I'd ripped off from some popular song and I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm just not creative. But that's a lie. Everybody is born creative. Yeah. 
And in Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, he's the one who gave me permission to consider myself creative because he said, when you create something, you're simply connecting dots in ways yeah. that haven't been done before. Yeah. So whether you're reading fiction or nonfiction, you're collecting these dots, you're collecting these ideas, they're banging around in your brain, and then there has to be an output. But uh, when you release those things, it actually feels really good. And that is, in essence, creating, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a blog post, or whether it's just your own internal notes on a topic as you're trying to wrap your head around things. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And something I was reminded of just now as you were talking was when you you mentioned how you read a lot as a young boy. And at some point that kind of dropped off and you barely read at all. Mm-hmm. And that's actually very common when reading becomes a heavy part of the workload for school. Reading for pleasure drops off dramatically. Yeah. I came across a stat recently that said about 8% of school-aged children read for fun by the, eight, by the time they're in middle school. And that is largely due to the fact that that's when they start reading a lot of books mm. for literature class or other type or other subjects. And when that happens, they're reading so much for school that their pleasure reading just completely drops. And that 8% really reflects the smaller percentage that reads all the time because they're glued to books and they absolutely love to read. And yeah. so that that happens very much naturally <laughs> for most mm-hmm. people. But I would like to ask you, would you want to share your origin story of Bookworm? Because <laughs> I think this is a fun story and it's appropriate for this episode. Sure. Well, I had started to get back into reading that's you like an artist book that I mentioned by Austin Kleon. That was one of the first ones that I read. And I realized that I just need to collect these dots. Uh, I, it doesn't even matter what connections I see being made because I believed the connections were being made in my brain, whether I saw them or not. I was just going to collect more dots. And I started doing that. And about the same time, I got connected with my buddy Joe Bulig. And uh, he wanted to read more books too. We had both been bloggers, podcasters in like the productivity space. So we knew the importance of collecting new ideas, but this was always something that never really stuck for us. And we were both getting excited about it at the same time. And I came across a stat that showed the difference between the top CEOs and everybody else, even like the regular CEOs, the ones who were super successful. One of the things they did differently is they read 24 books a year. So basically two a month. And I'm like, hey, Joe, How about we read a book every two weeks and we'll talk about it. We'll record the conversations and we'll release it to the internet. He's like, yeah, great idea. So we've been doing that (laughs) ever since. And it's been really rewarding. It's been a challenge sometimes. He's been going through stuff. I've been going through stuff, but we've always been consistent with it. We have covered some classic stuff, not just like the fluff, New York Times bestsellers, like the ones that everybody's excited about. But like How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. Dry book, very important. Talks about getting the most out of the book as you read it. And not just that book specifically, but like how it connects with all the other books. That's definitely influenced the way that I, I read and take notes and things. And so I've been doing that for a long time. And now we're to the point where like we cover these new books by authors that we originally covered and we expect to be blown away by them. And we're kind of disappointed because <laughs> we've got this big bank of knowledge that we we can draw off of. Uh, and so it's it's cool. It's kind of like journaling, like the gap versus the gain. You know, when you go back and you look at like where you started from, you can see the growth that's happened. But in the moment, you don't really see it. 
And it's easy to get discouraged and be like, well, I wish I was there, mm-hmm. you know, and always strive to, to, you're focused on that gap, you know, from mm-hmm. where you are to where you want to be. Yeah. But the further that we go with this, the more it, we're able to focus on the, the growth. And it's cool because it's, it's growing in, in terms of popularity and the audience and everything too. Uh, one thing that was kind of surprising about it when we started it, we kind of thought people were just going to read along with us if they wanted to. If they didn't, didn't really matter. We were going to talk about the books and grow that way. Uh, but what has ended up happening is our episodes are not short. They're usually like an hour and a half to two hours long. <laughs> and we talk about uh, the books themselves and the big ideas that stand out to us, what we liked, what we didn't like. We have action items that we hold each other accountable for, and we give it a rating. And it's been interesting because that format uh, was kind of intended to be like a podcast book club where everybody read along with us. What it's ended up being <laughs> is people using us as like a vetting service <laughs> for the books that they really want to read. <laughs> I've done that on occasion, I'll admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been really neat to see the consistency for, I don't know how many years, did you say? About Oh, goodness. It's been four I, years. I don't remember when the first episode was. But it's the been a while. The <laughs> first book that we covered was Getting Things Done by David Allen. And we just published today, as we record this, episode 119. Wow. That's awesome. And actually, your bookworm consistency and reading two books a month, plus you would read extra books. Yeah, time books to time, every gap once in a while. Yep. That inspired me to want to read more books. And in 2017, my daughter was born, so fifth child, and I wanted to read more books. So what did I do? I was like, well, let's just give up social media. That would gain <laughs> me a chunk of time every day. Yep. And in 2018, when my daughter was, what, four months old? I read 24 books that year. And homeschool mom of five, that was really awesome. And all I did was trade out a habit that, didn't add anything to my life, social media. And I added a really, really positive habit of reading. And I have a running list of books that I've read since then. And it's really fun to kind of look back. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I've grown so much more simply because of that reading habit. Yep, It's like my worldview gets bigger and my clarity improves on everyday situations because I am just seeing it's fiction and nonfiction, mm-hmm. but it just, there are so many incredible benefits to reading. Yeah. The, the social media stuff, um, we've talked about this before. I would encourage everybody to watch the social dilemma on Netflix. Oh yes, definitely. Because basically what it's doing is it is feeding you things that it doesn't care if they're true or not. It's just feeding you the things that you want to see. And the things that typically get a reaction out of you are the things that leave you feeling negative and mm-hmm. empty. Yeah. So it's this insidious cycle where you become addicted to it, but it doesn't add anything to you. It actually takes from you. And the moment that you stop doing that, because all of those dots that you're collecting are worthless and you start collecting dots that really are are worthwhile, it has a significant impact in how you view the world and how you go about your, your day-to-day. So even if it is just you're going to spend 15 minutes less on something like Facebook or Instagram and you're going to read a book instead, 
I would encourage everybody to do it. Just start small. Uh, one of the things that helped me get into the habit of reading was not using eBooks. Mm, I have yeah. a Kindle. I have an iPad. I write for the sweet setup. Like I am Mr. Tech Guy, <laughs> but I don't read digital books because it's so easy when you are reading a digital book to Just go do something else. something else. Yes. Yeah. So I have been buying physical books for a very long time. And I remember like when we were going to piano lessons downtown, I would always bring a book yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that I had it with me, yes, I've got my phone too, and I have the option, mm-hmm. but I have this physical thing that I have to carry around <laughs> with me. So it's like a constant reminder, like, hey, you should be read, reading this yes. instead. Read me, read <laughs> yeah, me. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love reading paper copies. I struggle reading digitally. But just put it somewhere where it's going to be a constant cue like, hey, consider this instead. Yeah. And if you're trying to get your kids to read, well, we need to show them Mm, and be a good example. If they see see us reading for leisure, for fun, then they're going to be more apt to want to do that. If they see us on our phone all the time, well, yeah, they're going to be addicted to screens too. Yes. But yeah, I can reiterate the social dilemma is a must watch for everyone. It will open your eyes to what's really going on. And can I just, I don't want to get totally off topic because we should probably record an episode on this. But could you just, if you go on social media, could you just take a moment when you're done to assess your emotional state, assess your mood when you are done? Mm -hmm. I would venture to guess that maybe it's not, Oh, I don't feel like junk. I, it's not really negative, but is it did really it positive? Did, did it lift it you down? up? Did yeah. it improve your life? Yeah. Because if it's like neutral, like oh, I, whatever, mm-hmm. it is what it is, or it's negative, it, wouldn't that be a red flag? Yep. I've got an app for you if you want to track this stuff. It's called Mood Notes. Mm. <laughs> and it's it's really simple. You just swipe up to make it a more smiley face or down to make it more of a frowny face. And there's different levels and you can set these different alarms. But I would just challenge people to when you're done with social media, use that as your cue Mm -hmm. to go in and log your mood and then periodically go back and look at the the moods that you've logged. Yeah. Because when you look at that, once you get some distance from it and you look at the data objectively, there's no arguing with it. (laughs) It's kind of like the screen time stuff. If it's telling you, hey, you spent... 15 hours on Facebook this week, you can't argue with that. Right. You did it. Just don't beat yourself up about it, but figure out if that's not what you want to do, you know, make some changes and how are the, what are the systems you can create that will kind of nudge you in the right direction? I used to tell myself when I was doing more with social media that my family that want to see pictures, which is true. There are family members that want to see the kids and want to see updates. Well, I just text them directly to them <laughs> yeah and i say look at this isn't this cute even my aunt the other day i had lunch with her and uh, and she was talking about how she likes to see the updates on the families and things and all the kids growing and she, i was like yeah i'm pretty bad at that she's like yeah you don't really post at all i said how would you want me That's to text deliberate. you pictures she's like i would love that so <laughs> i did so there are options if mm-hmm. we can get on social media on our phone, then we can just as easily text our loved ones those pictures. And it's actually more meaningful sent directly to them as well. So that's a solution I found because the only thing that was keeping me on social media at all was family that wanted to see the kids. <laughs> yep, yep. 
There's always an alternative if you're willing to look for it. Yes. Would you believe that 25% of Americans have not read a book in the last year? Would you believe that? <laughs> I would believe that because I know how easily I fell into <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> yes. But it is sad. Uh, yes. But with that, I want to just drive the point home of the benefits of reading because if you're not convinced yet, I just want to put it over the top mm -hmm. and inspire you today to pick up that book that's been maybe shelved for far too long on your nightstand. Yep, yep. This is really interesting. This is the most interesting one I came across. It actually helps you live longer. <laughs> there was a study done that reading 30 minutes daily that those people lived an average of 23 months longer than non-readers or those that simply read magazines. Wow. Because apparently the practice of reading books creates cognitive engagement that improves lots of things, including your vocabulary, thinking skills, and concentration. Yeah. Uh, let me just add here, because what you have, one of the benefits is being open-minded and more creative. Uh, when it comes to being open-minded... Read books that you disagree with. Yes, Don't definitely. just find the ones that are going to reinforce the messages in your echo chamber. And I think there was a, a Jim Rohn audio book that we listened to one time. I'll try to find it, put the link in the, the show notes. But he talked about how you should have a library. And he says, in the library, you should have a book from Gandhi and you should have a book from Hitler. And you should have books from all the different extremes so you know what's possible. And you also know on the negative side, like what, where you can end up if you're not careful. Right. So uh, I think there's a lot of value to that, but it's also very contradictory to our nature. We yeah. tend to seek out the things that reinforce our confirmation bias yeah. for the ideas that we already have. A great book that speaks to this specifically that I read recently is Think Again by Adam Grant. And he talks about how uh, you need to be willing to challenge your own ideas. Most mm -hmm. people will fight to defend their beliefs mm -hmm. instead of challenging themselves and asking, is it possible that I'm wrong? Yeah. And it will be very, very hard to relate to people unless they're exactly like, well, no one's exactly like you. Unless you, unless we broaden our view and become open-minded and read things that are contrary to what we believe in our, in how we structure our own life, it is mm -hmm. so so important. It, w another way to be more creative and open-minded is actually by reading fiction. <laughs> which true. I'm there getting you go, there. Mike. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but it does. It helps with creativity. I have found that to be very very true as I have read some fiction books i read both fiction and nonfiction, but it does it, it, it inspires you and i see that in our children too as they're reading certain books they'll be inspired to make a fort or mm -hmm. to write their own little mini book or comic because of what they're reading sure which i find to be very very fun yeah makes sense because you're joining <laughs> david and joe and ganging up on me uh, me well more you know i just thought it was kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying i'm just saying <laughs> And as parents, you may know this already, but there are so many benefits to reading to children. And it even starts when they are in the womb, still growing. But it does support their cognitive development. It improves their language skills. And it prepares them for academic success. 
And one of my favorites is it really does create a bond between you and your child at any mm-hmm. age. I found yep. this to be true even with our teenager. <laughs> it is. It does create a bond. Yep. Um, it increases concentration and discipline. And like we've talked about for the uh, benefits for all readers, it does in- improve imagination and creativity. Mm-hmm. And the more we read, the more it cultivates that lifetime love for reading. Yeah, it, it builds momentum. And once you get going, it's easier to, to stay going. Definitely. I would like to point you to Sarah, an incredible, she's a, she has a, a website and she has a podcast, Read Aloud Revival. This is who in, the title is inspired by her work. She does incredible work. She has really great resources for book lists for kids of all ages and topics and genders and all sorts of stuff. Incredible wealth of knowledge that she has. So I would point you there if you're looking for a place to get a jump start for your family. What should I read? I don't even know. There's so many mm-hmm. options. That's a great place to go. Sure. And I would encourage people if you're reading to your kids. Uh, don't care how gooberish you look. Do the funny voices for the oh, different yes. characters. Yes. This is not something that comes naturally to me, but <laughs> I forced myself <laughs> to do it over the years, and it really does make it. Oh, they love it. Yeah, it makes it a more <laughs> more uh, rewarding, engaging, enjoyable. It's not experience. necessarily a wind down time before bed when Dad has story <laughs> time, but boy, do we remember it and have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And actually, I will point this out because when I asked one of my children today, what is your favorite book? He said, do you mean the ones you make up, Mom? Because (laughs) I've been doing that with my two younger boys lately at bedtime. And it's been really fun. And I've been really, really just releasing my creativity with it. Mm -hmm. Like I put myself in a well-known story. I didn't tell them what the story was. And halfway through, they're like, oh, I know that story. But I put myself (laughs) in first person as like the little boy in the story observing this happening. And then, I don't know, they just really, really, really got into it. I don't know. I would just encourage you to try that. It's really fun just to like make up your own stories off the cuff. It's true. So... We have a few favorite books we'd like to share with you. Do you have a favorite recent read you would like to share? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is that too hard to answer? Uh, it is difficult, but <laughs> uh, I, do have, I do have one because uh, someone had asked me about this recently, and it is one of my favorite books that I've read. It is also very fitting for the topic that we're talking about here. I read a book recently called The Great Mental Models, Volume 1. That sounds interesting. Well, okay, so here's, it it is actually interesting. Uh, And the reason I would recommend it is a lot of like the productivity, self-help business type books that you would read, they are going to try to teach you these mental models. And these mental models, they explain in this book, they shape how you view the world. And what's cool about these is that you can use them different places and it helps you see things from different perspectives. So one, as an example from this book is the map is not the territory and it's a short section i think there's seven or eight different mental models in this first book it's very visual and it's probably stuff that you're familiar with like occam's razor is in there the simplest solution is the best solution that kind of stuff Uh, but the map is not the territory is really interesting to me because that kind of describes what goes on inside of your your brain and in that that section they talk about how any map that you look at is not an exact representation of the territory 
that it represents. If it was, it would be the size of the territory. So because it is condensed, what is happening is the cartographer is making opinionated choices about which things are important. And that is the exact same approach that you take when you read and you collect your own ideas. You define what is important. You don't go into a book thinking, this guy is really smart or this girl is really smart. I am going to conform my worldview to what they tell me in this book. And I'm going to remember every single word that they say. Therein lies the path to madness. But if you engage with the book and you are trying to identify what is the important stuff in here for me and you jot down those couple of things, those are kind of like the markers on your own mental map. And so I feel like if this if this uh, podcast episode is resonating with people and they, they do want to start collecting better dots, that is actually a great place to start. Good. I should maybe read that one. <laughs> <laughs> Joe and I both read that one for Bookworm. Okay. Um, it was a recommendation from somebody in the, the Bookworm Club. And we both rated it the highest rating we give on a scale of, of one to five. Wow. We both gave it five stars. It's okay. really good. Well, I'll scour your shelf and snag it. All right. <laughs> I would say my, I've been reading a lot lately, and my favorite recent read is actually something I probably should have read a long time ago, but it's A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Really interesting, investigative journalist, and he was like, what is this all about? Mm -hmm. This Jesus didn't exist. And so he actually started investigating, and his book is very interesting because each chapter starts with his own personal story in his line of work. And it goes through all the different processes that an investigator goes through, the types Mm -hmm. of evidence, the types of questioning, how you question the evidence, an eyewitness report and all of that. And then it goes into what he found as he went through this process and traveled across the country interviewing these incredibly brilliant scholars. Mm -hmm. So very thick book. (laughs) It's meaty really awesome because there's a lot of stories as well but that's a favorite recent read for me should we share some of our kids favorite reads we should definitely well toby had two to share with me because he reads for school but then he reads for fun as well his favorite school assigned read this year was the bronze bow a man that endured a lot and persevered (laughs) And then his other favorite read that was for fun is Faith Behind the Iron Curtain by Ingolf yep. Schmidt. Yes, uh, who we have actually met. Yes, several times. He's got a crazy man. story. He grew up in East Germany. Mm-hmm. So this is his biographical work, his story basically of what happened to him and his experiences. Yeah. I would say that Joshua, our 11-year-old, he he's one where... He used to read more, and then he kind of stopped, and he picked up a book that his best friend had given him for his birthday a while back, and he had started to read it, and he finished it in a day because he got so (laughs) into the story. It's called Snow Treasure, but it's a really incredible, fun story. It's historical fiction, so they can't 100% say this is exactly what happened, but there are accounts that this did happen that... I don't want to spoil too much, but children (laughs) helped transfer the treasury, the entire nation's treasury of Norway out of Nazi Germany's hands as they (laughs) were invading Norway during the reign of the Nazis. 
Nice. Really, really fun story. As mentioned earlier, Jonathan's favorites are the Boxcar Children books, and there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Malachi's recent favorite is The Perfect Nest, which was given to us when Toby was born yes. by a family member. It was written by a local author. They're from, from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. This and is one is, of your funny voices stories. That's true. Yep. <laughs> yep. So that, that's a good one. And Adelaide's favorite lately has been Mustache Baby. <laughs> oh, so hilarious. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I have to do an, um, another mention for Toby. Yeah. He really loved Carry On Mr. Bowitch, okay. which is like a classic read. And it's a very compelling story. A man that kept losing everything throughout his life, but carried mm. on. Nice. I'll throw out another one for the little kids. Uh, Old Mama Squirrel. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> it's a good book. We've gifted it to a lot of people. Chook, chook, chook. Yep. <laughs> well, have you cultivated a love for reading in your life? If not, it's time to pick up that book and just start reading it. It's start to read some picture books with your children. Maybe make up your own tall tales together for fun at bedtime. Maybe have a read aloud. Maybe have an audiobook going in the car instead of just music. Thanks for listening to The Intentional Family. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.